Colin Robertson, very good of you to join me once again. Good to join you, Mark. This is an interesting development in light of uh, recent criticisms about uh, Canadian policy regarding China. Uh, what was your first reaction to the creation of this oversight committee? Well, I think it's a good idea. I think that the Canada-China relationship has had a lot of tension on particular episodes, but not a kind of overall coherent look at it. We spent much of the last two years on a daily basis looking at the unfolding Canada-U.S. relationship in the context of Donald Trump and particularly the renegotiation of what we now call the Canada-U.S.-Mexico agreement. But China's come into focus on areas, particularly when the Prime Minister went a couple of years ago and tried to negotiate an agreement, and then with the extradition request from the U.S. on Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou, and then the Chinese decision to, to seize two Canadians and hold them in detention, Michael Spaver and Michael Kovrig, and then the Chinese decision to embargo our canola and our pork and beef. We're, we're, we're kind of looking at the relationship, and then there are other episodes like what's going on in Hong Kong and reports on human rights abuses, of the Chinese minority, the, the Uyghurs. Mm -hmm. So I think a coherent look at, at a really important relationship. After all, China is our second biggest trading partner, and it is scheduled to pass the U.S. in the next decade as the largest economic power. It is a country with whom we want to engage. A significant portion of our population now comes from the larger China diaspora, either from China or Hong Kong or other places where there's a Chinese minority in Asia. So I think it's a good thing for us to look at the relationship. What kind of power and authority would a committee have to actually change the government's policies? What, what committees usually do is give the government advice, but it is, in a minority government, the government party does not hold the majority, so the agenda, if the opposition comes together, as they did in the creation of this committee, because the, the Liberals did vote against its creation, arguing that it would be disruptive, but I think that the, the fact that the NDP the Greens and the Tories uh, and the Bloc Québécois all said, no, I think we need this oversight community. That's reflective in a way because they do represent the will of the, the people in the last election of, of, I think, where Canadians also would like to do. So having now this look by all the parties on an ongoing basis, at least for the next parliament, of this important relationship, again, I think will serve the Canadian interest and we will have our ambassador, we'll have ministers come in, we'll have subject matter experts. So I think, and all of this is public and transparent, and so and I do think the media will give it attention, so I think it will be an education process for the Canadian public in the same way that the hearings and the considerations that we put into not just the Canada-U.S. relationship, but over the last few years, the Canadian relationship with the rest of Asia through the Trans-Pacific Partnership and hearings in the House of Commons, and then the Canada-Europe relationship, again, with hearings in the House of Commons and the ongoing negotiations with them. What's the likelihood, then, of a committee like this recommending a much tougher stance than the current Liberal government has been adopting in the past regarding China? Good question, and certainly there will be elements in the committee. The Conservative Party would probably take that view, but where will the other parties be? This is, again, why I think this is it's useful having an all-party committee, because there's kind of a presumption by some in the immediate aftermath of this decision by the House of Commons that, ah, it will be a tougher line. I'm not convinced of that because I think the NDP have a have a perspective, the, the bloc will have a perspective, as, as do the Conservatives. So I, I think it will be quite interesting to see where the parliamentarians come out on, on that issue. I, I do think that there will be 
scrutiny of China's human rights practices, both within China, treatment of its minorities, and how it is applied to uh, in Hong Kong, and of course, the detention of both Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. Well, now China has sort of upped the ante once again, in spite of uh, Canadians' verbal and diplomatic uh, protests. Uh, they seem to say, uh, be ignoring Canada completely and have announced that they may in- go ahead and prosecute uh, the two Michaels. What kind of diplomatic power does, does Canada have or tools that can sort of do something to help these two men? Well, as we have found, we have international conventions to which the Chinese also subscribe, called the Vienna Convention, dating back to 1815 to give access by consular representatives to detained foreign citizens, whatever their crimes or alleged crimes. But the Chinese have been very sparing in letting us have access. So essentially, after a period of several months, we didn't have access to either Mr. Kovrig or Mr. Spavor. The Canadian embassy in Beijing has been sending senior representatives, our charge for a while, Jim Nickel was going in, and other consular officials, but they've really only been allowed in once a month. They have been able to successfully argue for better detention facilities for Mr. Spavor and Mr. Kovrig, because initially I think it was pretty grim. It is still pretty grim by Canadian standards, and the fact that the lights are on all day and that they're only allowed a couple of hours a week to to read. By Canadian standards, human rights groups would argue that this is torture. But this, of course, is how China treats people in its, its, its prisons. And so we've also got a bit of an insight into how China treats others. And as to what happens next, well, the Chinese have talked about they've been holding them under the broad umbrella, what they call national security, which usually translates into espionage, and the ultimate penalty for espionage is capital punishment. So it's a very serious crime of which they may well be accused. What happens next? Uh, Hard to tell, although in the Chinese system, because it's all controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, both the prosecution and the judges and the defense side, it's usually a pretty foregone conclusion. Once you're charged, that's what you're convicted of, and the convictions don't have a lot of appeal, so it's usually pretty fast from your trial to your sentencing to whatever the punishment's going to be. In the case of capital punishment, the Chinese have executed foreigners, but whether they would in this case, there'd certainly be a, a global reaction if that were to happen, because I think these two individuals are seen to have simply been pawns in a Chinese unhappiness over what they regard as the unfair detention of Meng Wanzhou. And I think put point out here to listeners that from the Chinese perspective, they are the aggrieved party. And they just simply don't understand rule of law the way do, and they think that uh, that that our decision to proceed with the U.S. request for extradition simply indicates to them that we're just a vassal state of the United States and that we are simply doing the U.S. bidding so that they're the ones who they feel that what Canada did was unmerited. They, they just do not understand that's how, again, a rule of law works because in the Chinese Communist Party, that's not how it is. It's authoritarian government, and they make decisions, and there it is. Well, Mr. Robertson, getting back to this committee, now that it's been sort of voted on, when when would it sit and start to actually make some decisions or take some action or something? Well, with the House having risen over Christmas, I think that we're more likely to see this committee be formed and to start holding hearings January, February, and then as the terms of reference go, it, it stays in during the during this parliament, and it is a minority parliament, but it could be there for potentially four years, uh, or at least for this session, whether they have to do it again, I'm, that part I'm not sure about, but it's certainly going to be likely there for uh, at least a year, and they will hold hearings, and they will bring in 
subject matter experts. So I, I think that's a good thing. We will see more of this in the in the new year when the House resumes at the end of January. Colin Robertson, thank you so much once again. Thanks, Mark.